Is there something significant about saying in Jesus' name? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Nembozik. So, Brian, today we are picking up uh, the story of the church uh, in Acts chapter 3. Um, so we are, you know, so we've, you know, the Holy Spirit is here, <laughs> and this is good news. And so we get to talk about what happens next. Yeah, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 3, and what we see here is is Peter and John going to the temple, and they're going to end up healing a man who is lame. Uh, We don't know exactly when this occurs after Pentecost. We know it occurs after, of course, but the text really doesn't say when, a day, a week. We don't know. The assumption, I think, would be that it's soon after. It seems like it's pretty quick after. The the narrative, or especially early in Acts, happens pretty quick. Um, So at some point after Pentecost, probably soon after, and Peter and John are going to go to the temple, and again, they're going to meet this man who who could not walk, and they're going to heal him. And it's a great opportunity for them to once again proclaim the gospel. Because this chapter is short enough, I'm actually going to read this whole thing, which is great. So, uh, so buckle up, guys. I'm going to listen as we as we talk through this passage, as we read through the passage, and then uh, talk through some questions. All right, so. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was, was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. And so he turned to them and expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then, taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. And so he jumped up and and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people, Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate, though he had decided that he had decided to release him. You denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. 
So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who he has appointed for you as the Messiah. Heaven's, heaven must receive him until the time of restoration of all the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to everything he tells you, and everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. And in addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to, Ab- saying to Abraham, and that all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised him, uh, raised up his servant and sent him first to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. So, out of all of that, what kind of questions should we be asking, Brian? Well, I think one of the first questions is, why were Peter and John going to the Jewish temple to pray in the first place? We see this in verse 1. Uh, we can kind of read over this quickly and not think about it, but I, th- I think it's helpful for us to pause here and consider this. You know, at this point, Peter and John are, are Christians, although that term is not being used at this time. It, the way is, is a term that's used early in Acts, but from our terminology, they're Christians. And yet they're going to the temple to pray. Why? It, it seems you know, why would they go to the Jewish temple uh, to pray when they were believers? Shouldn't they have gone somewhere else? The answer is no, not really, because we have to remember the early church did not see itself as starting a new religion. Uh, it is, they did not see this, this sharp break. Okay, now that they have trusted in Christ, we have to reject everything about Judaism and start with this blank canvas called the church. No, their understanding was that this church is a completion, a fulfillment of the Jewish faith. It was the next logical progression of faith that all of God's people, all of the Jews should have moved into it as well. So the early church was not interested in forming a new religion, so to speak. They were concerned about helping their Jewish peers accept Christ as the long-promised Messiah, the one the Old Testament points to. And so it makes total sense that they would still be in this rhythm of going to the temple to pray as they always had for their own development, their own discipleship, but also, we could presume, to be amongst their friends, their family, their peers, the Jews who needed to trust in Jesus still and help them see the gospel and respond to the gospel. So it, it makes sense that they would early, and we see this pattern. We're going to see it as we continue studying Acts. Uh, Paul, for example, what did he do? He would always go to New City, and he would go to the synagogue first. Uh, or if there was not a synagogue, he would find some Jewish believers, and, and he would start with them, share the gospel with them in hopes that they would trust in Jesus. Then he would go beyond the synagogue. He didn't stay there, but that was his starting point. So it makes sense for us that we see this here even earlier in the life of the church. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, and that is something that is significant. Um, you know, sometimes I wonder how often we are inclined to think of, of the church being something wholly separate as opposed to being the fulfillment of or the completion of um, everything that God had promised. Um, you know, and that's something that should inform really how we seek to seek to share the gospel with those who are those who are modern yeah. modern Jews we can and should rely on that connection even if there is a even if there is a yeah. rejection of it and we'd today. have to be careful and, and you're not suggesting this but I just want to be careful that we make this clear we can't go too far the other way and say well there's there's very little distinction between the church and, and Judaism no there is there's a there is a sharp break because trust in Jesus, faith yes. in Jesus is required. So a Jew who does not believe in Jesus, even if he or she believes in the God of the Old Testament and believes in all those promises, if they have not trusted in Jesus as the Messiah, they are still dead in their sin. And so there's there's not a, a caliber, there's not a gray area, but they're kind of Christian-ish. No, they're not, until they trust in Jesus. So we have to be careful, and again, you didn't say this, Aaron, but I just want to make sure nobody misunderstands us. We have to be careful about not going too far the other way and, and, and morphing them together in our thinking. But what you say is very true. I, I believe that we as believers should have a great sensitivity in our hearts and our minds for the Jews um, and to understand that they are close because they, they know the God of the Old Testament that we worship. They are close. They know of the promises of the Messiah they're close. They know about sin. They know about redemption. But where they are so far off, too far off, of course, as we just said, is that they have yet to understand Jesus as the answer. So for us to, to find that common ground of saying, we speak a similar language, let's start there as we talk about the gospel and point them to Jesus. Most definitely. And there's a whole bunch of other uh, complications and increase. In- intricacies yeah. that go into that as well that are, are just too much for for us to uh, talk about today, partly because we have not exhaust, exhaustively studied all of those things. Um, so there's undoubtedly yes. things that we would miss. So uh, instead, what we're going to do is, is we are going to go on to our next question, which is really the question that led off this episode. So um, in verse 6, Peter says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And so why did he do this? Well, what we need to know here is that what he's not doing is he's not using Jesus' name as um, as basically a magical incantation. He's not doing witchcraft um, as though Jesus' name, the five letters, J-E-S-U-S, um, have something have some kind of special power in and of themselves. Um, now we've got to be careful there, of course, because you know God yeah. you, God does work through things like that, and we see this later in Acts as well. We see, for example, uh, there are two, there are a couple of um, exorcists for hire who uh, try to who who try to exorcise a demon. And uh, get their pants beat <laughs> off of them, um, but the demon still responds because he because he knows who Jesus is. <laughs> so anyway, we'll get there some uh, a little ways down the road. Um, if not, then we'll talk about it at length some other time. But uh, 
So it's not we most often today. We will use, you know, this a phrase like in Jesus name or in the name of Jesus, you know, in, you know, as a punctuation mark in in prayer, most especially um, sometimes as, you know, um, you know, an element of of preaching yeah. as well to emphasize a point, that kind of thing as well. Well, what we need to understand is, is that 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 is not. This is definitely not wrong to do. It's also not a requirement. Um, when Peter did this, what he was doing was he was affirming the person and the power of Jesus as the risen Messiah, the one who has authority over all things. And so his so his miracles were in the miracle that he that God did through Peter was intended to to put. Christ's glory on display. And so Peter here, he was, uh, that's, that's what was going on here. And so what Peter wanted to do here was he was pointing to Jesus as the one who had the, had the ultimate power to save, not just from his physical ailment, but from his greater um, situation as well, which was his need for rescue and forgiveness of sin. And we see that as he as he preaches, you know, in verses eleven and and further, uh, that that demonstrates yeah. his point. I think today we we miss what it means in the name of what that means so often because, for many of us, when we give names to children, we just give names that we like, that sound good, or, or that that we enjoy for whatever reason. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course. Uh, but that's not how names worked in biblical times. They had meaning. This is why we see God changing names. This is why God tells individuals to name their children certain things. I mean, God told Mary and Joseph to name Jesus, Jesus. Um, you know, John's parents were told to name him John because there was, certain, there was something important that God wanted to convey about who this person would be, not just the name we recognize him by, but it, it's, it's revealing more of their character, their essence, their identity. So Jesus, of course, mm -hmm. is derivative of Joshua, which is the Lord saves or the Lord provides salvation. It makes sense why Jesus would be named Jesus. So is it, is it that those sound waves that come out of our mouths that is special? Not necessarily. It, it is who this Jesus is. It's his identity. It's his character. He is the yeah. Savior. He's the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Rescuer. So when we, when we put extra weight on what a name means, I think it helps us understand when we see in the name of Jesus, or when we close a prayer, when we pray and say in the name of Jesus, it's, it's to say according to who he is. I'm asking for these things according to who Jesus is. That's why it has power not simply because we use the phrase, in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. So yeah, it's a, yeah. a, a really important, I, you know, you and I were talking before we started recording. I've, I've had opportunities where um, in, in church ministry, I've had senior adults who grew up their entire lives around the church praying and so forth. And they thought you had to say in the name of Jesus to say to to wrap up a prayer, or it didn't really work. It wasn't effective or something. I mean, they, they, it's so ingrained. Um, and so we had a, a great time of explaining. So, well, what does this mean when we say this? Why, you know, you, you can you can end the prayer without saying that. Um, you don't even have to say Amen. Uh, it's just there's nothing wrong with these things, but let's understand them for what they are. 
So that kind of takes us to the next question. We look at um, Peter as he's preaching. Notice in verse 17 that he points out the ignorance of the Jews. He, he basically is saying, you know, you, you all, once again, we see Peter, bold Peter, we see this change in the Holy Spirit we talked about last time, Pentecost, that sermon, he's bold unlike before, here he's bold again, and basically, once more, he's, he's saying, you guys, you rejected the Messiah, you killed him. But notice in verse 17, he, he kind of points to a reason or the reason of ignorance. I know you acted in ignorance, did. Was he excusing them? Uh, was Peter here saying, it's okay because you didn't know any better? No, they still were responsible for their sin. They still rejected Jesus. So this is not an excuse of what they did. It is, it is a true observation because unlike the religious leaders who their actions, the religious leaders' actions, were more determined, they knew better. They, they were more familiar with the scriptures of the Old Testament. They were more determined to defeat Jesus. They wanted to get rid of him. So there was a concerted effort. Different than the people, most of the people just kind of went along with the flow out of true ignorance. And we have to use that word properly. Sometimes we misunderstand ignorance in a uh, in a cutting way, uh, we use it um, commonly as kind of a, of a put down. No, ignorance means without knowledge. And, and that's what he's pointing to here. You, you didn't know better. You knew enough to be accountable for your rejection of Jesus. But you rejected him because you just didn't know any better. Um, and so I think this is helpful for us to remember kind of getting ahead to takeaways from this, but it's helpful for us to remember that not everybody rejects Jesus for the same reasons. There are those who are militant, and I think we need to handle them one way, out of with love still, but maybe a little bit more direct at times. And there are those who reject Jesus more out of ignorance. They're still accountable for their rejection, but I think it takes us a different path as, as we seek to share the gospel with them. Definitely. Um, one other question that is is worth asking, I mean, there of the many other ones that there are, because certainly there's not only three or four questions that you can ever ask of a passage of, uh, of Scripture, but um, for our conversation, at least today, um, there's this, this phrase that Peter uses, this, I, this phrase of uh, seasons of refreshing that he, that he talks about. So what did he have in mind when he asked that? Well... Um, really, as we, as we look at, at, at this whole thing, there, there are, there are, um, a couple of key things that are there. One is super on the nose and super clear. And, and I would say, say is certainly the primary intent, which is that, um, he has in mind this idea of the return of Christ when all things are made new. And so out of that would obviously come, um, you know, would would come a prolonged eternal season of refreshing and joy. Um, but he uses a plural here. He doesn't just say season of refreshing. He says seasons, plural. And so um, so certainly what he could have in mind here as well is uh, this idea of new new life in Christ. He could be thinking about it from that perspective. Um, because, you know, as he's, as he's talking through all of this, he is saying, you know, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out in 19. 
and then says that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so it's it's a little yeah. bit of a both and. Um, you know, something that is um, you know, is key to really understanding the 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 Jewish people's speech patterns and writing patterns of that at this time is this idea of parallelism. And so um and so even though yes, Acts is written in Greek, Peter was still a Jew. <laughs> and so he would he would still have those mannerisms built baked into into the way that he spoke and the way that he that he oriented. And so he would um so you can think about these two things as being connected parallels that um that serve serve to double down on this idea that this is what repent this is what repentance and turning back looks like that as you repent um and turn toward God as your sins are wiped out you are refreshed definitely yeah i i love how has both of those in mind and, and, and they both are important. And, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's so encouraging that this refreshment, we, we await a refreshment beyond our wildest imaginations when Christ returns, but we don't have to wait. We, we find refreshment to a different degree, even right now. All right. So uh, let's think about this from a discipleship perspective. So what kind of guidance can we offer someone who is working through Acts 3 with another person or person? Yeah, I think the first one on the nose, it's, it's kind of the big takeaway of this passage, I believe, is we have to be like Peter. We, we have to be quick to point people to Jesus. And I appreciate that about, G, that about Peter. We, we've talked about Peter, if, if somebody's been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard us give Peter grief in the past. In the Gospels, the, the guy is putting his foot in his mouth almost nonstop, um, I mean, we just love Peter. I, I really, really love Peter. I can just relate to the guy. I just can't wait to give him a big bear hug. I mean, he, he's just a great guy. But he messed up a lot. But here we see this change in him because of the Holy Spirit. Not only what he's preaching, but notice how quick he is to point to, to Jesus. He doesn't wait. He doesn't, he doesn't you know, stumble here. Uh, and think about it. These are real people. Peter, Peter was real. And think about how tempting it might have been to take credit and, and become puffed up as people are paying attention to what you are doing. Did you hear what Peter did? Did you hear what he did at the temple? Um, did you hear that sermon? That was a good sermon. Peter, really, he had the same pressures we feel today, but look how quickly he immediately points to Jesus. He said, I don't want any credit for this. Credit must go to Christ, and we need to learn from that and emulate this. Think about our ministries. Uh, I think most people listening to this probably are either in a pastoral ministry of some form or teaching a small group or ministering to our kids as, as we are discipling them. So some way, shape, or form, we all have some kind of ministry, and it's easy for us to chase our glory in ministry. It, it totally sounds counterintuitive, right? Because ministries are all about Jesus, but we can seek our own glory in pointing people to Jesus. So we have to be re- we have to recognize this uh, this temptation in our lives and our ministries, our careers. Uh, whatever we do, whether it be baking, whether it be making cars, whether it be an architect, you know, pick whatever it is. Our careers 
exist not so that we just provide financially for our families. They exist for us to bring God glory in what we do. And so many of us are seeking our own glory in our careers. We want to be recognized. We want our name on a plaque somewhere or whatever. We want the corner office. But really what should be driving our, our desires here, or what our motivation should be, again, Christ, pointing people to Christ. So everything we do should be done for Christ's glory. And putting this under the microscope day by day, minute by minute, because it's not just a one and done decision. We can't just decide, all right, I'm going to do everything for Christ, and then it's an autopilot. This is a wrestling match that we have to deal with every day. Am I pointing people to Christ, or truly am I pointing people to me, even at times, using Christ to do that? So we have to be really careful here, learn from Peter, bathe what we do in prayer, and seek Christ's glory, not our own. Definitely. One thing we also need to do is is we need to recognize that people do not follow Jesus for different reasons. Now, that is a bit of a tongue twister just in the way that I've said that, but um, but it is important to phrase it that way because we're talking about why people don't follow him. Um, now, there's one one truth that is overriding, which is there is there is a there is a sense in which, yes, Everyone who who rejects Jesus does so ultimately for the same reason, which is sin and rebellion. Um, so because, you know, as uh, John's gospel says, people um, love the darkness and hate the light. That's why they that's why they reject Jesus is because Jesus is the light that comes into the world. But um, uh, but that um, but that's that larger perspective. For the individual, when they're rejecting Christ or they don't follow him, it's it's um, it's done because of ignorance, um, and that's something that that Peter mentions here, and he sees that that some do in fact respond um, to to this um, as they go, and but there are others who reject him. Um, with a great sense of hostility, it's not simply that they um, they're like I don't I don't know who this person is or I don't care or uh, I didn't know better in in quotation marks or anything like that or I didn't understand what I was seeing. Um, there is it's I know what I saw, I know who this person is, no. <laughs> Um, and that is, and that is one of those things that, um, is really important for us, um, to recognize because, um, although the end is the same in that it's all rejection of Christ, it's all, um, a failure to follow him. It's all rebellion against him. Um, this should inform how we share the gospel and how we serve others. So, in a place like, um, because, I mean, ultimately what it means is, is that the way we, we serve people is going to look different. So we talked a little bit about, um, about, you know, how do you, sh- like, about, you know, the importance of what it looking, about it looking different to share the gospel with Jewish people, modern Jew, modern Jews today. Well, that's also going to be true of people who live in in the Bible Belt in the United States, it's going to look different to share the gospel um, and and talk about Jesus, and the response is going to be different as well 
um, for someone here versus, say, someone who lives where I'm from in Canada, where um, it's significantly, there's a significantly greater degree of ignorance about the gospel and about God. Um, there's a, like, in the South, you're honestly much more likely to, to have responses that are hostile, um, which sounds funny because people think, well, the Bible belt, so everyone's a Christian. Well, the problem is, is you have a whole bunch of people who think they're Christians who aren't, too. <laughs> so now we don't know who those are. We don't judge that. Um, that's not for us to figure out. That's God's. That's for God to sort out. But there. But I mean, you kind of know when you when you meet someone who's like they've been going to church their whole lives, but they don't know Jesus. Yeah. Or you. Yeah. You see fruit. I mean, we. Yeah. We can't ultimately make a, a determination, but we. I've been called to be fruit inspectors is the term often used. Yeah. You know, you look at somebody and say, are they demonstrating the fruit of the spirit in their lives? If, if you have a conversation about Jesus and they get angry, oh, of course I'm a believer. Of course I'm a Christian. Really? You mean, I, that's the fruit. I don't see gentleness here. Um, but you're right. I, I think as we look at, at different people, it's, so it's the same gospel. Let's, yeah. let's be clear about that. Yes. So nobody misunderstands. We, we declare the same gospel. But the way we approach that needs to differ based on our context. And we see Paul do this later at Mars Hill, of course. He had a much different approach than he did uh, with, with Jews, for example. Um, and, and so just for us to be aware of this, that there are the Bible Belt Christians, in quotes, they're, many are not, but they think they are because they went to church a couple times, or because they're born in America, you have to be a Christian, right? Versus uh, the post-Christian context, where somebody in there is saying, no, I've learned about Jesus, nope, rejected him. And then you and I have talked about this in other contexts, the pre-Christian context, which is actually becoming more prevalent. Um, and the difference here is these are people who are saying, no, I don't even know what you mean by the gospel. That word means nothing to me. I've never read the Bible. I'm not familiar with it. North America is becoming more and more pre-Christian. We've moved from post-Christian. It makes sense. Once one, one generation is a post-Christian, they're going to teach not going to teach Christianity to the next generation. So it makes sense that the next generation would be pre-Christian. So th these things factor into our discipleship, I mean, our evangelism efforts, but also our discipleship efforts. Um, as we, you know, when somebody trusts in Christ, we can't, sometimes we have to help them reprogram themselves. They, have, they may know the language, but they don't have the right definitions. And so there are many times we have to help them come alongside and say, no, what you think has been the case that you, you, yeah, you trusted in Christ, but now you have to keep earning his favor by obeying, by going to church and so forth. That's not the gospel. So there are times that it carries over into our discipleship as well. I, I think the last thing I, I notice here that we would want to help uh, as we're discipling others is, again, getting back to this time of refreshment conversation. Not only for us, but for those that we are discipling, I, I want them to know that things are going to get better. The world is hard, especially these days. I mean, we're going through such turmoil, uh, adversity, worries. This, these, are, these are hard days. Um, and we're going to get through this, but then there's going to be hard things in the future again. I mean, it just this is a life. It's challenging. It's difficult. And 
we need those we're discipling to understand that when Christ returns, all these bad things, all these painful things will come to an end. He's going to undo all that sin has broken. And there's hope in this. We have to have an eschatological view of our lives today. We have to look at tomorrow as we live today. But at the same time, what we want them to do is understand that they can find rest in Christ now. They can find refreshment in Him now. We don't have to wait. This beautiful truth is that, yeah, life is hard, but we don't have to navigate on our own just holding out for this future hope. Life is hard. We navigate holding out for that future hope and take advantage of Christ's presence now who brings refreshing, who brings comfort, uh, who brings purpose and direction into our lives to help us navigate these difficult seasons. So I would want those who I'm discipling to understand both of these facets of refreshment for refreshment now and ultimate refreshment to come. Man, that's a great place for us to wrap up this conversation. So let's call it a day on this. Uh, So thanks for chatting with us, Brian. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.